you'll remember in the child parent dedication service a few moments ago, I read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 and just a few moments I want to read chapter 6 1 through 9 and today I want to talk to you about a job description for parents and I feel the heaviness as I walk to the pulpit and I know why it is because the enemy really doesn't want me to talk about that. Uh, He really doesn't want for fathers to be the fathers that they ought to be, and for mothers to be the mothers they should be. Uh, Unless you hadn't figured this out, the reason we're in the shape that we're in in our country is because as fathers and mothers, we have not been the parents that we ought to be. Because if that were the case, as far as the Christian perspective, and you know, sometimes we think it's If anything's going to change in the U.S., it has to be sweeping changes in Hollywood or in D.C., but I'm reminding you that God promises to bless a land when his people respond to him, not a lost world. And you keep that in balance. So this morning, kind of with a heavy heart, and for sure not a perfect father, I want to, we have a perfect father, amen? We want to enter into this text and learn what God has for us. David Blankenhorn said, fatherlessness is the single engine driving our most urgent social problems from crime to adolescent pregnancy to domestic violence. If you combine that with the fact that 60% of the men have unsolved problems with their fathers, it's no wonder that our country is in the shape that it's in. And I think today few fathers are willing to take the necessary steps and or sacrifices to turn our boys into men and our young girls into our daughters into young women who are going to honor the Lord. Now, I want you to know this morning that God is faithful and He keeps His promises. And I'm just reminded of Psalm 50, verse 15, that says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. And that's a great verse. Because I think as a nation, we ought to be crying out to our God because we are in trouble. We've already been in trouble, and we're in trouble at this moment when it comes to our culture and our society, and we sure are praying that there'll be, that America will be great again, right? But it's not going to happen apart from Jesus. It's not going to happen apart from our God, no matter how you measure greatness. uh, The Bible measures it differently than the United States of America measures it. But you may be in trouble today with a grandchild, or you may be in trouble with a son or a daughter. God knows your heart, and He knows your situation. And you can cry out to Him in your time of crisis, and we have a perfect Heavenly Father who knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we are going through. Now, fathering may be the single greatest challenge of your life. It has definitely been a challenge in my life. And it is a challenge in your life if you're honest with the Lord, and especially if your dad did not show you the way. But take heart, because our God has given us a map. He's given us an instruction manual that's tried, and it is true. And what he asks us to do this morning is to accept the challenge. For all of us, to accept the challenge to lead, whether you're a grandmother, grandfather, Son, daughter, whatever. The thing, the thing about fathers is they were, all, they were sons at one time, right? 
And if you were a son at one time and now you're a father, you understand the process. So, fathers, you can't let this responsibility just go to your wife. Now, we like to think that way. Let the little lady in the house take care of the spiritual things. We'll just make the money, right? Well, I want to encourage you and tell you that you can't do this. Moms are important, right? Mothers are. As a matter of fact, I think the holiest and highest calling for a woman is to be a wife and mother. I believe that. You can argue me if you want to, but I'm standing on the word with that one. But if you let your wife become the primary mentor, especially of your sons, one of two things will happen. They'll grow up to be feminized men, or they'll grow up to be angry men. Mark her down. If you guys don't step up, if fathers, if we don't take our responsibility seriously, that's exactly what will happen to them. And I want to say that these are hard times that young men are living in. Is that not true? They're extremely hard times. And the messages around our children and our young boys and girls, they're, they're messages that are, are devastating and confusing. But we can't depend on coaches or public school teachers or youth leaders to mentor our sons and daughters. You've got to do that as a mom and dad. I don't hear any amens. Are y'all listening? Do I need to go back over all of that again? Because y'all know I will, right? Now, this is not a sermon with a formula to, of how to make your son or daughter turn out okay. Let me explain why I'm saying that. There are, no, there are no perfect fathers. So the pressure's off me and you while we listen to this sermon, right? There, there are absolutely no perfect fathers except for our Heavenly Father. Fathers make mistakes. Sons make mistakes. Daughters make mistakes. Uh, I think that uh, I, I have done a lot of construction in my lifetime, going through seminary, and I love to build things. And I like to say that fathering and parenting is a lot like building a house, and there are a lot of adjustments you have to make on the fly, right? You've got to make adjustments on the move. And fathers are sons that have grown up. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, profound, isn't it? But that's what you are. They are flawed human beings. That's why there's no perfect how-tos to fatherhood in the psychological realm. That's why every day is an absolute challenge for parents, fathers and mothers. Right? So that's, uh, of course, sometimes you think that you know your child. And some of you have thought you've known your child in the last week. And you've found out that you don't know your child. Some of you in the last month or the last 10 years or whatever, you think you know your child and all of a sudden influence and circumstances that are completely out of your control enter into a son or daughter's life and absolutely derails that individual. We know that these things happen. But I want to give you a job description for parents found directly from the Word of God and let us apply this to our life. Now remember, in Deuteronomy 6, we've got a people of Israel and they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. In regard to faith and integrity, their fathers were a whole lot less than heroic. Let's be honest, that's the shape they're in because they're dads. With the exception of Moses and Joshua and Caleb, every man had buried their father. You remember? God literally killed them in the wilderness. And the only generation that Moses is speaking to now is a generation that were children when their fathers died in the wilderness. And other than Moses and Joshua and Caleb, every man had buried a father. And so Deuteronomy is a series of sermons by Moses to the people with great urgency. And folks, nine times out of ten, the message, the swan song, is about parents and children. About teaching them. So that's why it's so critical 
for us to see this. This book, Deuteronomy, and this passage is the most important theological statement in the entire Old Testament. That's pretty big, isn't it? This text is the most important, concise theological statement about how we should respond to our God found in the entire Old Testament. And what you'll know if you're a student of the Word is that Deuteronomy is to the Old Testament what Romans is to the New Testament. It's the first time in the Word of God, first time where love and obedience come together. God never intended for you to be saved through keeping the law, folks. It was a road map to get you to turn to Jesus, right? But here in the text, it's going to bring those two crucial things together of loving our God and obeying Him because you can't separate the two. You can say all day, I love God, I love God, I love God, but if you don't obey, you don't love Him. So Deuteronomy is going to bring the two of those things together, love and obedience. You and I express our love for our covenant-keeping God, even in the New Testament, by our obedience to Him. So Moses is teaching here. And he's a great theologian and a great spiritual father. And he towers over all of Israel's history as a nation. And he's going to provide this this text of Scripture given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, might I add. And he's going to provide this basis that kings and prophets and lay people and priests are are evaluated by all the authors of the Bible after this particular time. So in the end, the nation falls because its leaders and its citizens failed to live by the book of the law that was found by Josiah's workers. Anybody remember that? I'm not going to have to give you a complete Old Testament rundown. You remember when they found Josiah, Josiah's workers found the word and he, he, he repented before the Lord because they had forgotten the law of God? Well, Deuteronomy 6, ladies and gentlemen, is for all men of Israel. Every man, every father, and especially every king was given Deuteronomy 6. It's the Shema. It was a matter of life or death to Moses, but what it really is for us is a job description for parents. Okay? Are you ready for the reading? All right, you got to listen quick this morning. Are you ready? Now, this is the commandment that the statutes... Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Y'all see the generations? By keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Now here is the Shema, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your son, to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Thus, a job description for parents. Two things I want you to see this morning. 
Nothing embellished, real simple. Number one, you've got to love God deeply. Does that work? If you're going to be a parent that honors God, folks, you've got to love God deeply. And that's exactly what it's expounded for us in verses 4, 5, and 6. And how does that come across when you read verses like, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. What does that mean if you're saying love the Lord your God and loving God deeply? How would we flesh that out? Well, let me give you three ways to flesh it out. You've got to maintain exclusive commitment to God. If you're going to love God deeply, that means you maintain exclusive commitment. Again, this is a Shema. There is a confession. Literally, it's rendered in numerous ways dependent on whether we translate a word as an adjective or an adverb. If you've ever studied this before, that's important. So here are some renderings. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Or the Lord our God is one Lord. And again, the chief difference is whether you translate a word as an adverb or or an an adjective. But Deuteronomy declares that we are to worship Yahweh God alone and no one else. That's the number one thing. The Lord our God, if you want to read the Trinity into that, that'd be okay. You can probably do that. But the Lord is one God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And notice that if you're reading your Bible and you see the word LORD and it's in all caps, there's a reason for that because that's the personal name for God. It is the name Yahweh. God has but one name. He has many titles. He has one name, and it is Yahweh. He's the Lord and transliterated Jehovah. But Yahweh is his name. And so Deuteronomy plainly, plainly requires that we are to worship our God alone. That means if you're going to love God deeply, you can't have other gods. You worship him exclusively. In other words, the primary point is if, if you're in covenant relationship with God, then that is an exclusive relationship. Uh, that means you belong exclusively to exclusively to him and we know that some things are mutually exclusive if you belong exclusively to God that's like when you are married you don't date other people hello Tokyo y'all up 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 there in the balcony y'all wait if you're single you're single if you're married you're married and so when you belong to God and all and we accept that covenant relationship of course all those privileges of covenant relationship go with that But the depth and breadth of that expectation is elaborated in the wording in the verse. It encompasses your whole heart, your soul, and the strength of God's people. The heart is not that pumping instrument inside of you. That's why you make me cringe when you say, little kid, please pray and ask Jesus into your heart. What does that kid think about? How is Jesus... That thing is pumping. That's not what it means, folks. Okay? The heart is the seat of the intellect. The soul refers to the invisible individual, including will and sensibilities. And strength, of course, is the physical side with all those functions and capacities, natural abilities, and resources. Folks, are y'all getting this? That you belong to God exclusively. 
even your natural abilities, the capacities, the resources in your life, it all belongs to God. And that's part of loving God deeply. So this passage is describing exclusive commitment to the Lord. Love the Lord with your entire being would be a good uh, phrase of it. And remember, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is or was, what did he quote? This one. This is the one that he quoted in the gospel. So Jesus quotes this portion of scripture because to love God as it commands us to do so is to put yourself in the orbit of God's saving grace. You're not saved by keeping commandments. You're saved by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to save us. But that it's, it is you understanding these commands, how far we are from God, that puts you in the orbit of saving grace. And that's exactly why Jesus quoted these verses. So he is saying, love God deeply. Does your child recognize that you as a parent, that you love God deeply? Does he recognize that you are maintaining exclusive commitment to Yahweh God no matter what? Pregnant pause, right? Does your children know that? That you're exclusively committed to Jesus Christ alone and Him first? Part of loving God deeply is to maintain exclusive commitment, but it also means to practice absolute obedience to the Lord. Because he says, do these things, right? Uh, The first assignment a parent has after loving God is to store the Word of God up in their hearts. Meaning the seat of the intellect, the seat of the emotions, what makes you who you are. Listen to Deuteronomy 4, 9, if you just flip back a page. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and unless you depart from your, from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. So we've got to put the Word of God in us to be able to give it to our children. That means you've got to be obeying it. Chapter 11, verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them diligently to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Joel chapter 1 verse 3 puts it like this. Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. Y'all getting this? Would that change a society? If we, have, if, we main, if we really love God deeply and we maintain exclusive commitment and we practice absolute obedience to the Word, just think about the difference that Christians will be making in the world that we're living in today. Just consider that for a moment. A father who loves the Lord is such a wonderful, is such a wholehearted way, in such a wholehearted way, and cherishes His commands and obeys them without a second thought is a phenomenal ministry within itself to the children that He raises up. Your children shouldn't be thinking, well, will my dad obey in this particular point or not? They ought to know full well that my dad is going to absolutely practice complete and uh, steadfast obedience to the Lord God in every area of life. Are we going to fail? You better believe we're going to fail, right? But kids need dads who love the Lord unashamedly and obey absolutely. Amen? I got a little bit of an amen color, uh, corner over here. That's exactly right. That's pretty simple stuff. A father's faith provides security for the children. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, same chapter, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, 
what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. I can almost hear in the New Testament the question, God, uh, Dad, what does this cross mean? Dad, what does the cross mean to us as New Testament believers? Have you taken time to tell your kids about that memory? About that remembrance? Uh, Exodus was a physical exodus with uh, metaphorical overtones or typology for us in the New Testament. Because that's the greatest thing you can ever be delivered from is sin. And our God did this. We need to rehearse this to our children. Parents, you need to make Jesus known to your children through his word, you have the primary responsibility under God for getting that biblical and doctrinal knowledge into the heads and hearts of your children. Now, I'll show you something interesting. Flip over. If you've got a Bible, look, look with me in Judges chapter 2. Talking about this practical obedience, Judges chapter 2, verse 6. I love to hear the words turning. The page, pages of Scripture. Listen to what happens when parents neglect their God-given responsibility. Verse 6 of chapter 2 of Judges. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance and to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Listen to verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What a shame. Look at verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served false gods, Baal and Asherah. Oh, folks, we're just one generation away from that. For every generation that lives, if we don't rehearse to our children the awesome work of the Lamb of God on Calvary and make it completely clear to them what is right and what is wrong in regard to theology, we're just one generation away from having the anger of the Lord aroused against us. And you have to wonder in America if we're not already there. Maintain exclusive allegiance, devotion. Maintain exclusive commitment to the Lord. Practice absolute obedience. That's what it means to love God, folks. I mean, we use those words so loosely, don't we? Do you love God? Oh, yeah, I love God. Well, are you maintaining exclusive uh, commitment to Him? Well, no. Well, do you love God? Yeah, I love God. Are you obeying? Well, not really. So are you loving God? Go ahead and answer. No, you're not. Not according to Deuteronomy. Here's the third thing. Display at all times a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Display it. Folks, that's, you remember that sermon? Uh, Allegiance versus devotion? Y'all remember that one? And this is where this comes in in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, here's what I like about being a man. We tend to be warriors. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Right? Protectors and keepers of honor. Men will fight to death when honor's at stake. 
And folks, God is saying to us, we need to be men that fight for character and honor before the Lord. I mean, we need to funnel all of that energy of being a warrior and a protector and a keeper and funnel it toward that exclusive commitment to Yahweh and that practical obedience and that devotion that we have to Him. We've got to keep those commandments ever before our hearts and in our hearts as a lifeline for our families. What does Jesus mean to you? A father's integrity and devotion of heart provides stability for his children. Folks, if the world doesn't see this kind of integrity in the homes of the people of God, where else are they going to see it in this godless society? If the world doesn't see... Do you know this? your family is a testimony to the world? By who you're exclusively committed to, who you're obeying, and who you're devoted to, it's a testimony to the world that we live in. Remember this, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Oh, let's stop for a moment. When you read that, it ought to drive you to your knees. I mean, I, what I want to ask right then is, Father, am I the pride of my children? How you doing on that one, folks? Merritt wrote a little piece for homeschool the other day for Rebecca, and he wrote on his dad, of all people. And I scanned down that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm so glad he thinks this of his dad. But, oh, God, I'm so far from being what I ought to be. I mean, am I the pride? Hey, I get this thing that grandchildren are the pride of their daddy, of their granddaddies. You know, I get that, right? Grandmama gets that when we see them. But what about our children thinking of us with pride? I'm not so sure about that, folks. I mean, I'm not sure where we are with that statement. When I read that verse, remember this. Children's children are a crown to the aged. That'd be them grandchildren, right? And parents are the pride of their children. We want that to be the case at this church. But it will not be if we don't maintain exclusive allegiance to the Lord. It won't be that way if we don't practice absolute, unhindered obedience to the King. And it won't be that way unless we display a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Now, it's a battle being a parent. And there are a lot of people out there that would uh, raise your kids for you if you let them. You know that, don't you? And there's a number of people willing to fill that vacuum of an absentee parent. But you know what I've got to do as a dad and what we've got to do, mom and moms and dads, warts and all, we've got to refuse to let the world raise our children. We've got to do it God's way. Folks, that's our only hope. That's our only recourse is to do that. And I've told you this before. I've fallen on my face so many times parenting that my nose has a permanent upturn. But what do I do? Well, you just you get off the floor and you fix it. And you keep going because what other choice do you have, right? But to obey God, and, and though I may not be a perfect father for sure, I've yet to see a child who didn't respond to a father who loves them. Amen? All right, that's the first point. Y'all got that? Love God deeply. Here's the second thing. Teach your children diligently. I told you this is not embellished. Pretty simple. But that's the next phrase that it leads into. Notice the Bible. And these words that I command you today you sh shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way. 
And it, of course, there's some other hyperbole. Now listen, here's what that means. First, you've got to be intentional as you model and teach God's Word. Right? You've got to be intentional when you do this, especially our fathers. Uh, we are to be present in the lives of our sons and daughters. And we need to be intentional in this regard when it comes to the Word. In the day of give and take, when we're so busy, we've got to take time to mentor our sons and daughters. We've got to take time to teach them. And Moses is using this hyperbole, and he is giving us this so that we indelibly have these things on our minds and hearts before our children as repetition. We're doing these things continuously with intentionality. Thus, whether while sitting at home, right, or walking by the wayside, a pathway, whether you're lying down to sleep or you're rising up for the task of the new day, there's a teacher and a pupil, and you've got to pre be preoccupied with the Word of God. Now, folks, this is convicting because we like to get preoccupied with ESPN on the cell phone and fantasy football, and none of those things are bad, okay, with in and of themselves, or sitting in the deer stand. Oh! Right? And I'm preaching to myself. You know, but all those things can be, I'm sure, teaching moments. But we get so preoccupied with things that don't matter for eternity. I'm just trying to get you to focus. And you have to ask God to make you willing here. If you're a parent that loves Jesus, your first thought ought to be, God, I want to be that kind of father. You know, I want to be that kind of mom, so help me. You know, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit indeed is willing. And we want the Spirit of God to live for, through us. So intentionality, as intentional as we can be. Got your attention, didn't I? When it comes to baseball and football and travel ball. And my kids are involved with all that stuff. And your kids are involved. You know, it's a, it's a mm, that veneer that the, the enemy puts that over our faces. And we think that we're okay because we give God a little bit of intentionality. But, folks, these are the most important things we can do. I mean, this is not second place or third place. And I want to remind you that I don't think we have a kid in here that's going to be the next Hank Aaron in baseball. No matter what you think right now. I know one, I've known one kid my whole life that made it to the majors, right, Timothy? Only one. I don't have a close friend that's kid made it to the NFL. Get over it. There's something a whole lot more important than that. Right? And, you know, and dads, we, we kind of live through our children, don't we? I've noticed this sometimes. I don't know if I should say this. Right? You're sitting around in a ball field, and you got this obnoxious dad who acts like an idiot, and his kid's even embarrassed because dad couldn't run out of sight in three weeks when he played, and yet he thinks his Johnny Joe is the best player in the world. And when Johnny Joe don't get recognized and don't start in, start in position and whatever else, he just gets mad and acts like an idiot. Jumps all over the referees. And sometimes it's Christian dads that come to church. Sometimes it's deacons that fill at church. Sometimes it's preachers. What are we thinking? And what are we teaching our kids about what is absolutely most important? Now look, folks, I'm with, I'm with you. We like all these things. We like sports. I mean, I grew up with a ball in my hand from day one. I know what it's like to play in college. I know what all these things are like. But I'm also telling you what the Word says. And we need to be intentional 
in this area. Be intentional in modeling the Word of God. So, think about this. The pairing of these sets of contrasting places and postures, did you hear them? With, with, it encompasses all of life. Sitting suggests inactivity. So, when we're sitting around in a deer stand, or you're sitting around in the house, the Word needs to be put in there intentionally. What about when you're walking? Well, that's the course of activity. So in your inactivity and activity, together encompassing human effort. Likewise, to retire at night and to rise up in the morning speaks of the totality of a day. Some of you are thinking, do we really have to be thinking about the Word all the time? Yes! In order for you to make it, you have to be intentional, right? Some say today that it is better to leave all the religious options open to your children so that when he or she chooses, they'll own their own authentic commitment, not parental authority. It's a real good Hebrew word for that. Baloney! Right? Think about that. Here's why this is wrong. Number one, it goes counter to the entire teaching of Scripture that parents ought to teach the kids the Word of God. Secondly, it's impossible not to teach your children about God because not to teach them is to teach them plenty. Three, it's simply unloving and cruel not to give a child what he needs more than anything else in life. Only through obedience to God will that child escape hell and be in eternity forever. Because faith cometh by and hearing by the word He'll only have the delights of heaven if he or she does obey the voice of God. So be intentional teaching them. Here's the last thing. You've got to keep Scripture at the center of all, life's, all of one's life and labor. The Word of God, the truth of God is so important that it must be at the center of all your labor and life. Now he's using figurative language again. And he expresses things like phylacteries on your wrist and on your frontlets of your head and things like that. And... He is saying, as it were, wear your faith on your sleeves. That's really kind of what he's saying, what he's saying on your wrist and on your forehead. Wear your faith on your sleeves. Think about this. You see more of your hands than any part of your body. Everything you reach out to do, everything you do with your hands, he's reminding us that you ought to be thinking about the Word of God. Y'all getting this? Right? What you do with your hands. Others... See your forehead. So you see your hands more than anything else, but others see your forehead. Keep Scripture before your eyes and what you do, hands. Keep visible to others on your forehead through what you do. Right? All-encompassing. What about the doorposts and the gates? Well, that's the last thing you look at when you're leaving and the first thing that you look at when you're coming home. This establishes that home as belonging to God. It identifies that this home is for God and under God with gates coming in or doors coming in, gates going out. So, keep Scripture at the center of all of life's work and labor. In conclusion, well, folks, this is a timeless job description. No matter what anybody would ever tell you, this is not non-cultural. It crosses all cultures For all of lifetime, right? No matter what the world would say to you that it's antiquated or out of date or passe or whatever. That's not true. As a matter of fact, we've neglected the word so much in the United States. Believers have that that's probably why we're in the shape that we're in, right? 
So the way a son becomes a man hasn't changed. The way a daughter becomes a young lady. Our lifestyles today present all kinds of challenges. Doesn't it? But folks, you've got to work with the Lord. But as a parent, sometimes I'm thinking, I'm working against you, God. Father, I'm actually working against you. Reminds me about the fellow who's walking down the road and enjoying a beautiful day like we had yesterday and today. And he noticed an older man struggling in, with a washing machine in the doorway of his home. So he's like, ooh, good neighbor day. So he runs over there and he helps the older man with the washing wash machine. And they shoved and they pulled and they lifted for several minutes and they stopped utterly frustrated. They just wasn't getting anywhere in the process. And the younger man says to the older man, I had no idea that it would be this difficult to get this washing machine into the house. And the older man replied, what do you mean get it into the house? I'm trying to get it out of the house. (laughs) Now, both people had the best intentions, but they were working against each other. Folks, if a man isn't working with the Lord, he's going to be frustrated. I've been there. His arms are way too long to box with him. You're going to lose every time. We've got to work with our God. And you know how you work with him? You love God deeply, and you teach your children diligently. Amen? Pretty simple, isn't it? I remember growing up, and I think I was, Ned and I were married. I was probably, well, it was 1994 when my grandfather died on the burden side, my dad's dad. He did come to know the Lord. I remember my grandfather walking the aisle when he was probably in his upper 60s. But I remember when he died, my dad and I went into this little garage over at my grandmother's house, and there was an old tackle box there. Big tackle box. And you know, for a kid, you're thinking, man, that's pretty awesome. We opened up that thing, and there were all kinds of lures in there. Mr. Bumgarner back there, he'd be in hog heaven if he had those fishing lures. And I really don't know what happened to him. But I remember distinctly about five years later reading something in a book for school and thinking to myself, you know, that's really all my grandfather left for my dad. Just an old tackle box with rusty lures in it. He didn't walk with the Lord. Never did a family devotion that I can remember. Uh, three, three children already dead. One died of methadone overdose. One died of alcoholism. My dad was the only one that lived for the Lord. I got an uncle right now that's on meth and is probably not going to live long. Thank God for grace that he saved my dad. But I want to remind you something. You don't want to leave a tackle box with rusty lures to your kid. You want to leave more than that, folks. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us. And Lord, uh, this is a good confession time for all of us dads. And Lord, I know I've been strong on the men because we have the primary responsibility. God, you've given us the headship and the leadership. Lord, I pray that you would convict all of us. God, our church needs revival. And I know that it will start if men humble themselves before you. Beginning with the pastor. God, help us. God, help us, uh, Lord, not to be bigoted or to think we have all the answers. But, Lord, to be totally committed to your word and stand on your word unashamedly. And say to you, Father, that 
the most glorious thing we can ever do is be exclusively committed to you. No matter what the world does, as fathers, we're going to maintain our exclusive allegiance to Yahweh our God who saved us. And we're going to practice absolute obedience. We're going to fail, but God, we're going to get up time and time again, seek your forgiveness, even our children's forgiveness, and move forward. God, help us to display total wholehearted devotion, that we belong to you. God, help us to teach our children to be intentional as we do it. In all of labor and life, let the Word of God be as frontlets to our forehead, phylacteries on our hands. When we reach out to do whatever we do, we see them first. When others see us, they know that we're completely consumed by your Word. Our homes are identified by our, our love for you and our love for your commands. God, help us this day in this invitation. Lord, maybe there's some children here that need to come home, spiritually speaking. They've been away for a long time from what they know is right. God, we can teach them exactly what we need to teach them, and they can still go AWOL. We know that. When it's all said and done, we're always at your mercy, Lord. Always at your grace. Lord, maybe there's some parents that need to be on the altar this morning. Just praying for their children. God, whatever you lead us to do, Father, help us do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.